The point is being an independent individual. It is about saying it's about looking at a at a contract, understanding your own value and fighting for it. It's about fighting for your fellow wrestlers' value. It's about like I said this after the strong style tournament, it's about the many versus the few. It's about the people at the top who are rigging the system to try and make sure that the people at the bottom have no power. And we together have a whole lot more power than those people at the top. Welcome to the Edge of Sports Podcast. I'm Dave Zirin. This week we speak to independent pro wrestling star and one of the most radical political athletes we have, especially, much to my delight, on the question of Israel and Palestine, the man of a thousand nicknames, David Starr. Also, I've got some choice words about the racial split on the Boston Red Sox with regards to their trip to see Donald Trump at the White House. I've got the Just Stand Up and Just Sit Your Ass Down awards, all that and more. But first, I have for you the man known as the cream in your coffee, your favorite wrestler's favorite wrestler, the Jewish canon, the physical embodiment of charisma, the Bernie Sanders of professional wrestling, the most entertaining man in professional wrestling, Mr. American Rana, Davey Wrestling, the 104-minute man, the main event, he's really good at Twitter, the king of taunts, the product, David Starr. What is it? Uh... 15 of your nicknames a bunch of them and i and now i have to figure out whether or not i'm gonna add one for winning the tournament yeah the super strong style tournament so i'll have to figure that out do you know what that's gonna be yet dude i don't know because like so part of me was saying like maybe i just make the one that jim made for me the circumcised savior one maybe nice. i just make that permanent um or i could just keep the independent because i went by the independent uh I went by that throughout the tournament, so maybe I keep that one. Um, I don't know. I, I really uh, I have to think about it, and I think about whether or not I want to add to it now because it seems like everybody's kind of gotten it down. And I also think about where the flow of that would go. Yeah, it's all kind of yeah, Damn. interesting. So yeah, maybe just to explain to my, my listeners here, why do you live in Britain? Why Britain? Why? Why do I live here? Uh, well, one thing that's quite obvious uh, is the fact that there's, I, I get I get healthcare here <laughs> uh, that helps. So with that, with that, my girlfriend's uh, English. Um, I work here all the time, and it just seemed like it just made more sense. Uh, just uh, weekday shows. I was here all. I was going back and forth most of the time. I ended up kind of making most of my time over here anyway for wrestling. But um, a big thing that has kept it's going to keep me here for a bit, especially while I'm wrestling, is the, is the healthcare because mm-hmm. it's it, doing what we do. Uh, it's really difficult. So luckily, um, you know, I pay into the system and I get back, and that's kind of how it should be. Uh, but. Yeah, it's a, it, the healthcare issue is a big is a big reason what's going to keep me here for the long long run. Oh, and we are going to touch on healthcare and pro wrestling for sure. But <laughs> I got to say, Great. anybody who calls themselves your favorite wrestler's favorite wrestler loves what they do. What what do you love about being a pro wrestler, dude? I, it's kind of crazy because um, I get to go all over the world, and I've get I've gotten to see some stuff that I know I never would have 
scene had I not been a wrestler, had I just uh, finished uh, university and like been a math teacher or just gone into my family business or something like that. Like um, I've gotten to see the castles in Hungary. I've gotten to swim in the Dead Sea. I've gotten to uh, just uh, I've gotten to like travel in and out of an Italian airport back and forth. I've gotten to go to Australia. I've gotten to uh, go. I've seen Mexico city. I've seen, I've, there's like so much stuff that I've been able to do just because of wrestling, which, and just traveling and meeting people, um, and learning different things, being just broadening my horizons. I think that's, that's just something that you don't get to do with many other jobs. Um, especially yeah. when you're, What's yeah, when you get the business? opportunity to actually see stuff. Oh, jewelry. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, my, my mom and my, my dad's side, or jewelers from, let's see, my great my great grandfather started the the oldest store and the oldest jewelers row in uh, America, uh, Barsky Diamonds at seven twenty four Sansom Street in Philadelphia. Um, yeah, so that was my great grandfather Nate Barsky started that, and now my uh, my grandfather who just passed away a couple two years ago uh, ran it, and my grandmother still works there. My uh, oldest brother Nate works there. My dad works there. Uh, yeah, pretty much a lot of my cousins go through. Yeah, so that's I could have done that. My mom also has her own store uh, separately, Barbara Bee's Jewels in Flowertown, Pennsylvania. Um, she has her own thing. She's got her GIA, and yeah, there was a lot of encouragement to try and get to go into that. But um, I, I just I kind of went on my own path. I'm like a little bit of the black sheep of the family. Um, uh, me and my brother ourselves, my brother's a working actor in, in New York. Uh, and we both, so obviously we went down the creative path as opposed to anything else, but yeah, it's, it's, I think pro wrestling has brought me to some pretty wild places. Uh, I, I don't think I would be doing the things that I do. You, you got to have a background in acting or athletics because I've you know anybody who sees your matches sees the theatrical aspect of what you do and then of course it's combined with the athleticism. How did those things synthesize for you? Uh, well, I appreciate the the lie of calling me athletic, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I, I wrestled. I wrestled from when I was seven years old through uh, when I was twenty one, which is when my eligibility came to an end uh, in in college wrestling at uh, Elizabethtown college. And I also wrestled at Westchester university. Um, but yeah, I, I just did, I did that for pretty much my entire life, but I got into that because I loved pro wrestling when I was little. Uh, I played, and when I was younger, I played like, I played football and I played lacrosse as well, but, uh, no acting background other than some school plays when I was little. Uh, and just kind of talking to my brother about stuff. Who's a very is unreal good <laughs> at acting and he's a great musician and all that stuff. But other than that, I don't really have an acting background outside of pro wrestling and, and that, and just, um, but yeah, just pretty much mostly amateur wrestling, wrestling through college and stuff. Nice. You know, I read that you were into, uh, Muhammad Ali and we talk about Ali a lot on this podcast. What is it about Muhammad Ali that speaks to you? Well, he was outspoken, man. And, um, I mean, the thing that I really liked about him just from a, a wrestling standpoint or from an athlete standpoint is how he talked you into a building. You know, he, he really was able to – he was a larger-than-life character, and he was much more than just a boxer. Um, and obviously when you look at everything he stands for uh, from a civil rights standpoint, 
uh, he just transcends sports. And those are the people that live forever. Um, mm-hmm. Muhammad Ali is just somebody who, who wasn't afraid to speak his mind. He wasn't afraid to stand up for what he believed was right. Uh, and he also wasn't afraid to talk trash. I love, I love from an athlete standpoint, I love athletes who talk trash and back it up. Those are, those are my favorite types of athletes. And obviously, again, like I said, from a civil rights, uh, activist standpoint, Muhammad Ali is somebody you have to, you have to admire. Do you think there's space for a Muhammad Ali of pro wrestling, someone who can be politically dangerous and also dominate in the ring, or does the power of promoters almost negate the ability for someone like that to be able to break through? Uh, it's definitely a, an interesting thought as far as because because pro wrestling is much more subjective uh, as opposed to a, a boxing a fight, you know, because Muhammad Ali's out there. Uh, in legitimate sporting competition, whereas our competition isn't uh, legitimate as far as the predetermined outcomes go. So there's there is a major difference there, and at at some point, but the, the thing with the thing that's crazy now is there is almost like this weirdness about uh, the knowledge that fans have about pro wrestling because mm-hmm. there's a booking technique that I was made aware of. Um, early on in my career where sometimes if you want to get a baby face over in pro wrestling nowadays, you actually have them lose a lot more. Um, the old school thought process is baby faces should look good and be strong and be win all the time. But there's also this weird way of thinking that you have the baby face lose a lot. If you want to get them over with the crowd, because the crowd might think they're being shafted. They kind of make them think like there's a way of kind of people thinking, Oh, he's being held back and this is happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I mean, case in point, most recently, look at Daniel Bryan, uh, the way he was, the way he was booked or treated or whatever fans got even more behind him when it seemed like he was getting the short end of the stick all the time. Um, and I, and I do think that in not to, not to put myself on that same, uh, level, obviously it's a much bigger scale, but um, I think a lot of people have gotten behind me as a wrestler because I haven't been given a lot of big things. I haven't won a lot of big opportunities. I've kind of lost in a lot of big matches. And I think that has helped me in select spots to get people behind me when they're supposed to. Um, so I can speak on personal experience from that. Uh, and I think that people get caught up too much in that aspect of it. So is there a chance, is there a room for a Muhammad Ali of pro wrestling, like a politically dangerous person? Yeah, hell yeah, there is because you can just, you're using a platform at the end of the day, um, whether a promoter decides to book accordingly, uh, is a different story. But I mean, Kofi Kingston, I think they just did that. WWE specifically just did that with him, right? They, they built up the, the, they put the idea of, uh, race relations out there, how there hadn't been a black WWE champion. Um, or then people argued about the rock or whatever, but, um, you know, they, they put that out there. So there, there is a a spot for politically dangerous people. And at the end of the day, if there's no way around it, you kind of play checkmate with the promoter. If they have to, if they don't do something with it, then people are like, what the hell? Why aren't you doing something with it? Is it because of what he says? And if you do something with it, then you're empowering that person. So I I definitely think there's a place for it. Um, But it it is an interesting thought 
just because of the subjective nature of pro wrestling. Now, now you call yourself one of your many nicknames, the Bernie Sanders of professional wrestling. Where <laughs> does your political awakening come from? Where did that develop uh, for you coming out of Philadelphia? Um, well, man, like I've always been interested in, in politics and I've always kind of, uh, and I, and I, and it's just something that feels like it really matters. Um, there was a point in my life when I kind of went through this almost nihilist phase that I, I had, I almost felt like I had to because pro wrestling really brought me down. I was really focused on it and I got sucked into this false reality and I had to kind of attach something to something that meant something and politics is something that actually affects people's lives, uh, day to day. And I just got, I dove deeper into it and it just seems like it's pretty obvious. And I don't know how people confuse this. Uh, there's one side here and this isn't like a Republican versus Democrat thing or anything like that. It's just the ideological, uh, on the political spectrum, that is, on, on, of thought process, there's one side that says uh, they want equal rights for everybody, and there's another side that says they don't. Uh, you know, there's one side that says uh, the Jews will not replace us, and there's another side that fights that. And on that other on the side that says Jews will not replace us, they're also referred to as very fine people. So I don't really see how there's any confusion as to who's on the right side of history there. Um, so where did my political awakening come from? I guess it's just something that I, I kind of thought that I needed to, be, to focus on something that actually was meaningful. And I feel like politics is meaningful. You, you know, I'm, I'm going to quote you to you. I hope that's okay. Sure, uh, of course. And you said, I'm going to read through this quote. You said, I just want wrestlers to realize the power we have and understand that we don't have to accept whatever is given to us. We have our own terms and our own conditions, and I want wrestlers to understand that it's cool to say no. It's fine. Don't give in just because it's got three letters and it seems like it would be cool. Just think about yourself and don't cave into a corporate power just because they tell you, look at all this exposure you get. Well, how about you treat us right? How about a billion-dollar corporation that is able to provide health care to its wrestlers? Clearly, they don't care. Please talk to us a little bit about what inspired you to say something like that. Um, well, it's the truth. Uh, it, there, I've heard so many arguments, and these are these are thing conversations I've had uh, in private with um, with other wrestlers. Just about it's about realizing uh, labor empowerment. It's about realizing we have a lot more power than let on. Yeah, sure. Will will there could there be somebody who'll take a lesser offer? Okay, fine. But that's why we need to band together and that's why we do need to stand in solidarity and we can't accept things just because it's what is the norm you know it's ridiculous um that over course of time as competition has gone away on the mainstream pro wrestling uh plane or whatever uh rights have been slowly taken away from wrestlers you know travel used to be covered uh Mm -hmm. Hotels used to be covered. Um, there used to there there used to be a lot bigger, lot much a lot more money divvied out for the wrestlers who were in video games, and that's not the case anymore. There used to be a lot. Uh, you used to be able to have a lot more individual opportunities. You used to be, like there's things they get away with, and now this is obviously specifically a WWE thing. 
they get away with saying you're an in, you're an independent contractor so that they can't so that they can't guarantee you vacation days or sick days. Uh, there's no off season, but WWE, based on um, year, a couple years ago uh, numbers, but adjusted for inflation, they only pay like eight uh, percent of their revenue of their total profit revenue to talent salaries, which is like six times less than what they get, what the NFL or the NBA does. So they have the fucking money. Sorry, cursing. They have the money for, to, to take care of these guys. They have the money to pay for the healthcare. Oh, and then people want to say, yeah, well, they take care of you if you get hurt in the ring. But so what they should, that would be basically workman's comp, wouldn't it? Who like, you should be getting healthcare. There's other corporations that provide healthcare. There's other people who aren't incorporated who don't have the money that Vince McMahon has that that do provide healthcare for their employees. And they use this, they they pick and choose when it's good to say you're an independent contractor, when it's good for them, and when it's bad. So they they try and take the, they try and have their cake and eat it too, and that's not how it works. Um, I just want us to realize that you can get a contract put in front of you. You can take it to a lawyer. And if someone tells you not to take it to a lawyer, then guess what? That contract is probably not worth the paper it's written on. Um, go, go get seen by a lawyer. Go tell them what you like and what you don't like. Tell them what you would like. And then if they say no, then you can say no. It's not a big deal to to hold out for a bigger for a better deal for yourself. The whole thing, the whole thing I'm trying to start, or I shouldn't say it's trying to start, but I'm trying to put forward this independent movement isn't necessarily about, oh, don't sign contracts. The point is being an independent individual. It is about saying it's about looking at a at a contract, understanding your own value and fighting for it. It's about fighting for your fellow wrestlers' value. It's about like I said this after the strong style tournament, it's about the many versus the few. It's about the people at the top who are rigging the system to try and make sure that the people at the bottom have no power. And we together have a whole lot more power than those people at the top. And I, and yeah. So <laughs> I could probably go on for hours. Uh, please go on. But I, I would be forced to interject and just ask you the question. You talk about um, getting a bigger slice of that pie how do wrestlers win that? I mean, do you think it's through is unions? Is that something that's feasible on the WWE and the independent scene front? How feasible is it for wrestlers to actually organize in a union or a players association like they have in NFL, NBA, et cetera? There's no reason why there couldn't be a players association or a players union or wrestlers union or whatever. Um, at, at the very least on a company by company basis. Um, there's no reason why WWE couldn't have its own wrestlers union. There's no reason why ring of honor couldn't have a wrestlers union. There's no reason why TNA couldn't or AEW couldn't. There's no reason why these companies that are hiring guys to exclusive contracts would, couldn't have, uh, uh, unions at the very least. Um, could, I mean, I think there could even be an individual. I think there could be, uh, independent unions as far as just something that uh, it's a it's much different over here because i when i bring up healthcare stuff to wrestlers over here it's not uh it's not seen as as important because they already have nationalized healthcare the way it should exactly. be um mm-hmm. but but there should there should be unions that 
you know, yeah, sure, you pay your dues into it, but then you have a representative if you get if you're getting screwed over by promoters, which happens far too often. You have promoters that try try and talk you down. Uh, and this also comes from other wrestlers. Like there's wrestlers who run promotions out there that try and make you, they try and say, Hey, why don't we, uh, just give me like, you know, the friend deal, like what's your price, you know, and don't be too, how about we shift that? How about we have a paradigm shift in that regard? How about if you're my friend running a promotion, you give me my full rate instead of me having to give you a discount because why, why should it be that way? Um, you know, what, why is it that the wrestlers are the ones who get shafted, the people that putting their lives on the line, as opposed to people who are just putting out posters? Like, I understand that, that promoters have a hard job, but when it comes down to it, we're the ones who's, who are risking our lives and risking our bodies and our, like our future. You, it's scary. CTE and stuff like that is scary. And we're risking our future. We don't know what we're going to be. We're not only are we ruining our bodies, we're ruining our minds. Like this is something that is, it's, we are fragile, fragile animals, and we are just consistently beating the shit out of ourselves for honestly low money. And even though, like a lot, plenty of us are probably more of us now than what I can what I can recall ever in my time uh, in the seven years I've been wrestling, um, are living off of wrestling. But it doesn't mean that we're not being we're being treated completely right. That's only because there seems to have been a little bit of a boom in the system. And that comes from the fact that we've been able to build up this independent scene. And that's being mm-hmm. taken away slowly. That is being – we don't realize it. You might not see it, but it's coming. Like they're, they're, And that independent scene is going to be – they're going to try to take it away. They've already attempted to invade our world. And that's the thing that we don't understand is that – it's nice, and there's parts of it that are good, but there's also parts of it that are very dangerous. Uh, and I think that unions are very important for us to stay to maintain solidarity because people are going to try and take advantage of us. Have you ever thought of writing like a pro wrestler's manifesto? Like something that lays out the business as you think it should be that both fans and newbies could read and have a sense of how the business should operate. Have you ever thought about that? I don't know. Um, I got a lot of things <laughs> in mind right now. Uh, sure, sure, sure. James, uh, my, myself and James Musselwhite are working on some cool stuff. So I think in the coming months, uh, things will be developing. Uh which might start out on a small scale, but ideally I think we both James and I both want to kind of build it to having a higher purpose. Um, You want, you want to put some meat on that bone or do you want to leave that vague and just to be continued? Well, there's going to be a countdown clock put out sometime soon. And then, uh, as we get there things, it'll, again, it could, it's going to start out, it's going to start out small. I'm not going to, you know, not going to necessarily hit the ground running. You got to crawl before you walk and you got to walk before you run. Uh, but ideally in the future there, we have grander ideas than what it's going to just start as simply. Of to be specific, how wrestlers are treated in the industry. Our message, like I said earlier, is to help empower labor. Got it. Got it. So changing the subject, um, 
<laughs> sounds amazing. I'll, I look forward to the countdown clock. Um, if, in a perfect world, what are your aspirations? Is it to build the independent scene or is it to wrestle in a more just WWE or AEW? Where do you see yourself five, ten years? I just want to leave a mark on the business and leave it better than than where it's at right now, um, or better at least at least better than it, it was when I when it came in. Um, if if that meant if and as long if that means uh, you know some kind if that means i'm trying to think i don't want to be too specific there so like mm-hmm. i want to just leave it better than what i came into Got it as and I, and I and i hope that that better means that wrestlers are more powerful and i hope we i hope there people understand the power that we have and i hope people understand the value that we have and and that's really what it comes down to. And I think this is also something that the fans are behind because the fans want the people that they're paying their hard earned money to watch perform, be treated right. And, and it's something that I think everyone would get behind. Uh, and most people do because you, you know, everyone wants to support their favorite entertainer. They do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if you know, they're getting the short end of the stick on a personal level, I don't think that sits well with the people paying paying money. That's right. One place where you've already left your mark is you spoke out against the uh, right wing media monopoly, Sinclair Broadcasting, and that that got a ton of pub when you did that. Could you speak about that to my audience? What impelled what compelled you to do that? Well, it's pretty hard to ignore, isn't it? Um, yeah. I had so basically, I had uh, I was booked for a match it, by an independent company in Israel. Uh, IPWA to wrestle Jay Lethal, who at the time was the Ring of Honor World Champion. And uh, for anyone in your audience doesn't know, Ring of Honor is owned by Sinclair Broadcasting Group. And Sinclair Broadcasting Group is a far right wing propaganda machine. Uh, I don't think there's any. <laughs> no, they they probably have t shirts that say that. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> I, and it's kind of just, man, um, it is just a it's hard to ignore when you have them they literally have advocated for tear gassing migrants they've advocated for separating families they you know they have things called terror watch where they just report on local muslims they have they compared multiculturalism and political correctness correctness to cancer epidemics uh they they are just um an atrocious an atrocious organization um and they and they the way they operate is they take over local media and they, cause they understand the way that people work and they trust local media more than they trust national media. And they require these local news stations to run must run ads. And they, they just blatantly put out Islamophobia and anti-Semitism when it's, you know, by the way, the, the, they'll, they, empower anti-semites but then they call anybody who you know criticizes the state of israel or the government of israel um you know they call that actual anti-semitism which is absurd but mm-hmm. um yeah so i i just feel like i'm very vocal about my politics and i and about my feelings and my opinions and i felt that i couldn't really not speak to that so yeah i did a promo um on my own on my own with Filmed by, filmed and produced by James Musselwhite, 
uh, who was, I mentioned before. And um, yeah, and I just kind of called Sinclair Broadcasting what they were. And I called out the Israeli government. It was. So, yeah. Now, I, I get a lot of shit for being a, a Jewish guy who criticizes the actions of the state of Israel. Do you get that as well on social media or yeah. uh, avenues of that nature? Well, yeah. And I think we get it by proxy. Like, you know, you, you see, you see other, you see like idiots like Ben Shapiro uh, come out and call and call any Jew that opposes the actions of the state of Israel, a self-hating Jew or a self-loathing Jew. And yeah, and you see, and I mean, I went into the streets uh, when I was in Jerusalem and I, I spoke to a bunch of different people and I spoke to this, this one dude who was a former high-ranking person in the Israeli military who was was racist um, towards Arabs and towards anybody. And actually he was discri- had discriminatory feelings towards anybody that wasn't like Orthodox Jewish. He he referred to reformed Jews as like not actual Jews and he freaked like man, it was nuts. Um so yeah, I've definitely gotten gotten that all of that because I'm not necess- and because I'm I'm not wholeheartedly behind or blindly supporting the 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 state of Israel. No. Yeah. Cause oh, yeah. it's it gets uh I, I like the way I like to refer to it is I'm an I an idealist Zionist, meaning that I the the idea of Zionism I think is good, but the practice of it and the enact, the way it was enacted was terrible. Um, that's kind of yeah yeah that's really because I think that based on you know our uh, Jews history. There, it's necessary to have a place of peace and refuge because pretty much everywhere we've gone for the you know nearly six thousand years we've existed, um, we have been persecuted, exiled, murdered, uh, what have you, <laughs> everywhere we've gone, um, oppressed or whatever. So I, there is, I think, there is a necessary place for Jews to be able to know you can go to have peace and refuge, but. The way you, when you just kick out hundreds of thousands of people from their homes just because um, some people decided on a map we're going to change the name of a of a piece of land, um, I, I think that's not really the way to go. And then to then say that we're entitled to it because we're Jewish and you're not, I don't think that's the way to go. Um, it's just really sad that people haven't learned from the heart, the atrocities that have been committed to us. Exactly. Like victims of pogroms become pogromists yep. and we think that somehow that story is going to end well. Yeah. It's, ter- it's terrible, man. Oh, and, but you know, I appreciate you standing up and standing strong on these issues. Definitely. Uh, it actually, it means a great deal, man. I don't know if you realize how many people hear that and get confident from it because right now you've got all these, uh, Christian evangelicals who seem to love Israel and hate Jews. Yeah. Well, and I don't really, it's incredible. Um, I think that us Jews, I think we have this amazing ability to be hated by absolutely everybody. Um, it, it is, it is pretty, pretty interesting that, um, Netanyahu's actually, he's, hasn't, he, he's come out and said stuff like he doesn't need American Jews anymore because he's got the American evangelicals. Um, that's right. He, he, and he, and he <clears throat> does press conferences with openly anti-Semitic leaders in Eastern Europe. 
Mm. Doesn't give two shits about it. No, because all he cares about is power. He's a fascist. Yeah. Ding, ding. I agree. Um, Yo, I really appreciate the time you've given. Um, Something I always ask uh, my guests when they come on, always, is what kind of music they listen to. Like whether it's when you're training, whether you're thinking with uh, what, <clears throat> excuse me, what what kind of uh, machinations you're gonna do to make this world of wrestling more just. So, what kind of music does David Starr listen to? I'm on a big um, Leonard Cohen kick right now. Uh, I'm huge into Leonard Cohen. Uh, I, I've... I'm getting a flashback to Mick Foley telling me he was into Tori Amos. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> it's funny. Um, but yeah, yeah, I like I like that. I like stuff. I I'm actually pretty. My uh, music is is pretty diverse. Um, I like like Leonard Cohen, but I also I also like like I like indie rock. I like alternative rock. I like I like pop rock. I like pop punk. I like regular punk. I do like my my. Uh, you should see my music on my phone. It's all over the place. Like from I'm, I have Beyonce on there, and I also and I also have like. Uh, like the flaming lips. She's a black belt in karate. Working for it's it's pretty. I, I just pull up two things, like just go random. Yeah, like for instance, for some reason, I have Bob, and then right under that, I have. Like, uh, then who's this? then Tears for Fears? That's always cool. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I have Tammy and Paula, and then I also have the Velvet Underground, and I have, uh, yeah, so it's pretty all over the place, to be honest. Nice. All right, Dave, David Starr, any last words for uh, me and my listeners? Any way they can follow you on social media, keep up with what you're doing? Oh, sure. Uh, Social media, check me out on Instagram and on Twitter, which is at the product DS. Facebook, you can just search David Starr. I have my website, theproductds.com, which has direct links to my merchandise stores, bottomlinemerch.com slash David Starr, prowrestlingtees.com slash David Starr, uh, sl-wrestling.de slash David-Star. Um, you can also uh, stay tuned for more stuff with Independent, or We Are the Independent. Um, stay tuned with that. Keep up with me and James Musselwhite. James Musselwhite on Twitter is Y2JimBob. Uh, that's him on Instagram as well. He's like the best photographer in the world, uh, as well as an, an amazing videographer and everything like that. Um, and where where are people going to be able to see this countdown clock that you referenced earlier? Just stay tuned to, to – you can stay tuned to my social media and you can stay tuned to uh, more information on uh, We the Independent which might also be seen as we, the indie. Um, but we're building all to that. Everything is in the concept stage right now. And there's exciting concepts that are brewing. Ah, David Starr. Yo, thank you so much for your time, man. Really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate having me on, man. That was David Starr, ladies and gents. We'll be back right after this with a quick word from the sponsor of this podcast, The Nation Magazine. Okay, look, the need for independent journalism has never been more important, and the nation brings it each and every week like they've been doing since 1865. I'm serious. 
This is what you got to read. It's The Nation magazine. Go to thenation.com slash subscribe. And please never forget that when you support The Nation magazine, you are also supporting the continued existence of this podcast. So please subscribe. Go to www.thenation.com slash subscribe. And now back to the Edge of Sports podcast. We are back. I've now got some choice words about what went down with the Red Sox and Donald Trump. Okay, look. Last week I wrote in The Nation magazine about Boston Red Sox manager Alex Cora and his refusal to visit Trump's White House uh, with his 2018 World Series winning team. His rejection of the trip was in protest of Trump's malignant inaction after Hurricane Maria hammered Cora's native Puerto Rico. Now, Cora's protest, as people might know, spread throughout the team albeit with results that Red Sox ownership surely did not foresee. Now, Mookie Betts, Xander Bogarts, Jackie Bradley Jr., Rafael Devers, Sandy Leone, Eduardo Nunez, David Price, Christian Vasquez, and Hector Velasquez said that they also would not attend. Every one of those players is black, either U.S.-born or an immigrant. The 20 or so players who went to the White House are all white and born in the United States, other than Miami-born J.D. Martinez, whose family is from Cuba. It's also worth noting that Martinez has a penchant for squirrely right-wing memes on Instagram. Now, the players are well aware of this racial divide imposed by the politics of this administration. Boston-based sports columnist Steve Buckley tweeted that it would be just the White Sox, haha, attending Trump's party of McNuggets and Sprite, and pitcher David Price retweeted Buckley's words with the message, I just feel like more than 38,000 people should see this tweet. The players, unlike Alex Cora, have largely been quiet about why they're refusing to go, other than Hector Velasquez, who's from Mexico and said that Trump has said a lot of stuff about Mexico and he had no desire to offend his home country. Now, one person who's supporting Cora and the other players is recently retired Red Sox legend David Ortiz, who said, I'm an immigrant. When it comes down to the political side of it, I don't know much about politics and things like that, but when it comes down to the way immigrants have been treated, it's something that goes a long way. You don't want to go and shake hands with a guy who's treating immigrants like shit because I'm an immigrant. Now, Red Sox CEO Sam Kennedy said that there's no division in the clubhouse that we know of right now. (coughs) Okay. Kennedy says there's no division in the clubhouse, but it is difficult to see how this does not affect the Red Sox already off to a disappointing 18 and 19 start. Their record, however, is not nearly as disappointing as the absence of solidarity that white players are showing with their black and immigrant teammates. It was remarked by Seth Blumenthal, who's a senior lecturer at Boston University, that these players should look at Celtics legend Bob Cousy's letter to Bill Russell. Bob Cousy, who is now 90, cries today at the thought that he should have done more to fight racism at the civil rights supporting center's side. He says, I should have been much more sensitive to Russell's anguish in those days. It reminds me of something that 1968 Olympic protester John Carlos once said to me. He remarked that he has no regrets and the people with regrets are the ones who were there in 1968 and chose to do nothing. There will be a reckoning about the profound cruelty that this administration has inflicted on immigrants and asylum seekers, separating families, putting children in cages, creating camps on the border. And the people on the Boston Red Sox are simultaneously marking themselves on both sides of these political questions for all of history. 
One group will be able to hold their heads high. Another will be marked by their political lassitude. And it's as clear as black and white. We'll be back right after this with a quick word from Edge of Sports. Hey, everybody out there. This is Dave Zirin with the Edge of Sports podcast. People got to know that we put this podcast on with elbow grease and and bubble gum on a weekly basis. And we're proud of the work that we do. We love it. But we can't do it without support from you, the listener. So please go to patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod and support the podcast. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. Any little bit you might give to support the podcast actually makes a huge difference to the work we're trying to do. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. We appreciate you. Make no mistake about it. And now, back to the Edge of Sports podcast. Now it's time for the Just Stand Up Award. Just stand up and just sit your ass down. The Just Stand Up Award stand up. goes to Damian Lillard, Dame Dollar. We took a week off from the Edge of Sports podcast, so I haven't been able to comment on Damian Lillard's brilliant 37-foot shot that sunk the Oklahoma City Thunder over the outstretched arms of Paul George. And afterwards, Damian Lillard was asked about pressure. And this is what Damian Lillard said, keeping it very real and keeping it very East Oakland. He said, pressure? Nah, fam. This is just playing ball. Pressure is the homeless man who doesn't know where his next meal is coming from. Pressure is the single mom who is trying to scuffle and pay her rent. We get paid a lot of money to play a game. Don't get me wrong, there are challenges. But to call it pressure is almost an insult to regular people. Me being the chosen one was like a blessing interception. City known for homicide, majority depression. Grinding in the gym so I could live through the recession. Real goons show me love because they could feel how I'm connected. Background of a street dude, mind of a scholar. Just to pop our collar, man, we climbing for the dollar. I mean it when I say it, bro, we started from the bottom. Childhood friends dropping like leaves in this autumn. Don't believe time is money. Money is time. When you focus, man, you look up and your money is fine. I'm from a city where your friend will put a gun in your mind. Cause you eating and they envy all that glory and shine. I swear to God, it gets realer. A city full of killers, addicts walking around looking like the zombies off a thriller. It's sick and getting iller. That's why my skin thicken. Now you see why brothers wanna get away. Grab a snicker. My mission took me to college where I picked up the knowledge and tried to stay away from violence inside. Escaped the virus, divided my folks from tyrants. But I rise from that environment in my life. It was perfect timing. My drive blew me up atomic I'm sick of these suckers all in my bubble though Critiquing me on stuff I had to struggle for This dream done been a long time coming And my clock was for its dump and spent a long time running Dame Diddy, Dame Dollar The Just Sit Your Ass Down Award Sit your ass down Sit your ass down Goes to a person who needs to take all the seats That's Eldrick Tiger Woods He went to the White House He got his Presidential Medal of Freedom From his business partner Donald Trump he kissed the ring, and he is exactly who we thought he was. That's who Tiger Woods is. People need to accept that. People think he's this apolitical person, but he's only apolitical insofar as he's non-threatening to white folks. When it comes to his actual politics, you saw what he did. He kissed the ring. And now for part of the show we call Kaepernick Watch, where we talk about the latest comings and goings of Colin Kaepernick. Just pointing out that Colin Kaepernick, along with his former teammate and friend, not former friend, current friend, Eric Reed, they did an event with Amnesty International. Boom. In Amsterdam. Boom. 
that was aimed at spreading the word about uh, police brutality and racial resistance. So more power to them, and good to see that the fire still burns bright. And I'm sure Amsterdam was a good time as well. Well, that's all the time we have on this week's show. Please support the Edge of Sports podcast. If you like this interview with David Starr, and I cannot understand how if you listen to this podcast you did not like that interview, please support us at patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. Also, please follow us on Twitter at edgeofsportspod, or you can follow me, Dave Zirin, at edgeofsports. You can also contact me, edgeofsports at gmail.com, if you have any thoughts about the show you want to share. For everybody out there listening, please stay frosty. We are out of here. Peace. Peace.